Well, we've just been discussing a world of lies and deceit and deceptions and disruption, but now let's do a segue to a secret world of covert action, smoke and mirrors, subversion, manipulation, secret wars, rigged elections, poisonings, assassinations, heavens above, cyber attacks and a sprinkling of plausible deniability. We're going to talk about all this and more with Rory Cormack, the author of How to Stage a Coup and 10 Other Lessons from the World of Secret Statecraft. Rory Cormack is Professor of International Relations and cop this for a title, Director of the Centre for the Study of Subversion, Unconventional Interventions and Terrorism at the University of Nottingham. Rory, welcome back. It's great to have you again on the program. Please give me a working definition of covert action. Hi there. Thanks for thanks for having me back on. So, covert action is when states try to influence to shape the affairs of of other of other nations, but crucially in a way where their hand remains hidden. So it's about plausible deniability. It's about getting out there using spies, using you know, the menu of options you outlined in your intro, the electoral interference, the sabotage, the cyber attacks, all the way up to the most controversial of all of assassination uh, in order to, to shape, to, to, to cause change. And this has been going on for literally millennia. You know, these examples hundreds of years, thousands of years ago. Rory, I was uh, fascinated, indeed agog, to learn from the book that despite its global reputation for meddling, the US of all places is the most transparent nation in its use of covert action. It's actually produced a written definition of it. It's produced a written definition, it's declassified all sorts of documents. The beauty of studying this um, and I wrote the book during lockdown from my bedroom, essentially, is you can sit there and you can look at all the CIA declassified files. They're online. You can do it from the comfort of your own bedroom. You don't even have to leave the house. Now, that is a remarkable difference from, say, the UK, where I'm based, where you know you have to nothing's written down to start with, and the stuff that is written down, you have to traipse down to uh, the National Archives. And even then, um, there's nothing on MI6 released post-1949. So the US you know, has a reputation for doing a lot of this stuff, but it also has a reputation for being um, much more transparent than, than most other countries. You talk a bit about the legality of covert action. It surprised me to learn that the CIA, which has a well-earned reputation for going rogue and meddling across the world, is probably the most legally constrained of all the world's covert agencies. Could this be true? The funny thing is, it's not always about going rogue because so often this stuff is, is traced back to the president who authorises it, particularly in more recent decades. There is something called a presidential finding, which basically means the president finds that this particular operation is in the interest of national security and could go ahead. So this is... Uh, within American legal frameworks. Now, that's quite different from kind of international frameworks around um, not encroaching on other states' sovereignty, for example, not meddling uh, in, in the internal affairs of other states. But from a US perspective, you know, there are legal frameworks, and most of this uh, takes place within 
legal frameworks, even stuff that, you know, on the face of it, it sounds particularly dramatic. So often it's traced back up to the um, elected president himself. You make the point that the UK is far more secretive and that we're not too good at it in Australia. So I hear. Um, apparently, you guys make us look uh, <laughs> look like WikiLeaks in comparison. Um, it's it's very difficult bleeding uh, secret material out of out of the British state. But uh, my friends and colleagues in uh, in Canberra tell me that um, it's it's, just, it's it's even more difficult. And the French as well. Apparently, the French are particularly uh, particularly tight lipped. Rory, back in the seventies. Uh, we saw a really big U.S. congressional inquiry into uh, the CIA action. The Church Committee comes to mind. And many Americans were horrified to learn about what their government was doing in their name. Is there something inherently immoral or at least hypocritical about democracies behaving in this way? I would argue that it depends on the on the context. This might be slightly controversial. I don't I don't think there's anything inherently uh, good or bad about this type of activity. It's a, it's a means of policy execution, to put it in a boring academic way. Um, the key is is how it's used and, and for what purposes. And you're right. There are many people in the in the states who were. Uh, shocked and appalled when they found out about uh, a lot of this stuff and some of it was used wrongly inappropriately and um and certainly wouldn't get sanctions today um but other people would argue well you know what's the alternative it's better than going to war for example if the choice is between uh you know more subtle uh, supplying weapons for example to particular rebels or something it's better than a full-on world war three LNL on Radio National, the voice of Rory Cormack. Rory's uh, day job is Professor of International Relations and is now the author of How to Stage a Coup and 10 Other Lessons from the World of Secret Statecraft. Now, let's go back to assassinations, which you mentioned earlier. One of the big myths you wanted to spell is that Western democracies, at least, there are no James Bonds or Jason Bonds. No one, you say, has a license to kill. That, that is totally true. We read the newspapers every day and it's always discussed through the prism of Bond and Bourne and people going around doing crazy stuff with their hidden guns and crazy gadgetry. The reality is that uh, whenever yeah, an American um, intelligence officer uh, or special forces wants to use lethal force, it has to be authorised. Um, so in, the, in the UK, uh, MI6 don't, don't go around killing people, full stop. Um, but uh, whatever you know, they, 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 they do do, whatever operations they're up to, it gets run through policymakers, it gets run through lawyers. Now, that's not quite as glamorous as the freewheeling, handsome uh, spy going around drinking martinis and acting outrageously. But it's the mundane reality. It goes through layers and layers of lawyers to make sure that, um, that this is being done in a, in a constrained manner. And that's what differentiates the world of US and UK secret statecraft from, say, um, Russian secret statecraft. It's, it's, much, more, it's much more constrained. Um, it's much more proportionate. Do assassination attempts tend to end in failure? Have some been deemed successful? 
using it as a tool to try to change a regime um, I think has been an abject failure. It's incredibly difficult, even in the freewheeling days of the early Cold War, when CIA were doing some crazy stuff and some of the um, stories about how they tried to kill Fidel Castro of Cuba, for example, are hair-raising, you know, stories of smoke, uh, poison cigars, exploding cigars, poison wetsuits, exploding underwater shells. He liked, he liked scuba diving, did, uh, did Castro. But every one of them completely failed. And even if an assassination does manage to take out a leader, which is a big if, there is then absolutely no guarantee that the the successor regime would be any better, be any better aligned to the to the initial states, sponsoring states' interests. Um, so, in in terms of regime change, taking aside the the moral arguments, but just practically, I mean, it, it's horrendous and is. Um, if I can think of one, potentially one example of the entire 20th century, which would be the Soviets taking out the Afghan leader before the 1980s war. But it's, it's, it's got a, a horrendous history of, um, of utter and abject failure, if we're honest. Rory, in the Antipodes, we've recently become aware of uh, that we're now a target for, well, subtler forms of influence and outright assassination. China has had its Confucius centres here, which were ostensibly language teaching centres, but they they have been kicked out of a lot of universities and countries for their influence activities, and there are uh, a few Australian pollies and even academics who've been accused of uh, promoting Chinese narratives. How does all this work? Are people formally recruited and played and paid? Are they bribed or is it a subtle art of finding and promoting fellow travellers? It's subtle. And we're just starting to talk about this threat um, up here in the UK now. And it sounds like you guys are, are much further along in, in kind of discussion and awareness of it. But there's a whole spectrum of, of influence ranging from, you know, the paid agent of the state who is directly receiving money in order to, sh- to shape political debates, to fund certain parties, to constrain academic debates. That's one end of the spectrum. And it goes all the way through towards, to, to just, you know, yeah, um, just encouraging fellow travellers to just very subtly trying to manipulate and shape. And that's the real threat here. There's no great risk of you know, full-on dramatic coup or anything in Australia or in the UK, but it's that subtle, pervasive drip, drip, drip of steady subversion, which I think is really worrying. Well, it's not new. I well remember when the CIA were funding Encounter in the UK and the magazine Quadrant in Australia. It's old stuff, isn't it? It's very old stuff. And I think one of the dangers here is we talk about this, particularly because of the cyber dimension, as being entirely new and we completely forget about all of the the lessons that have gone before us about, you know, how we responded to it in the past. Um, the actual principles of all of this, the means might be new in terms of you know, cyber, social media, etc. Um, but the actual principles about disrupting, about discrediting, about trying to work out where there's a division in society and then smashing that division open basically where is the schism let's exploit it let's polarize let's polarize different people's um opinions and just confuse and make life difficult i mean that's 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 as old as time 
Rory, if the goal is shaping opinions rather than shooting a leader, it, that's pretty hard to measure, isn't it? It's, I guess it's a bit like an advertising campaign where you can look at increased sales. It's incredibly hard to measure. And this is something that um, policymakers are grappling with at the moment about how we even go about measuring it. Because um, there's one thing, you know, measuring the the outputs of this, measuring the, the equivalent of increased sales, for example, how many clicks has something generated. But that only tells us half the story. It doesn't tell us how behaviour or opinions have changed. It doesn't tell us what role the hidden hand had in any potential change. Because so often, when a state tries to manipulate or subvert another state, they don't do it from scratch. They exploit pre-existing tensions and loopholes and debates and narratives which are which already existing inside the, the target state over very, various controversial issues, and they smash them open. So well, it's very we difficult saw, we to saw isolate that, the agency. We saw that happening internally with Brexit, of course, didn't we? Yeah, and Brexit is just the latest line in a, in a whole, whole load of things, um, whether it's uh, immigration, whether it's Brexit, whether it is in you know, the US, um, Trump and critical race theory, and anything which is... Um, polarizing a hostile state will try to exploit it and to stir up those divisions and stir up that confusion so we need to be able to kind of recognize the interplay between our own internal problems not just blame everything on hostile foreign states but get our own house in order to uh, to prevent it in the first place rory why this book now because there's been so much talk of all of this over the last few years, going back probably to about 2014 and, and Russia's annexation of Crimea with the so-called little green men popping up. And then we had Trump in 2016 and we've had um, you know, various uh, assassination attempts. We've had a whole host of electoral interferences. We've had cyber attacks, cyber sabotage. It seems like it's everywhere. And I wanted to write this book to to help us understand what on earth is going on. and Is, is it new? Is it not new? Uh, what do we do about it? What is this phenomenon? Because it's so easily mythologized through that prism of James Bond. And I think it's really important that we try to understand. And, and the book's an explainer. You know, what's going on? Why do states do it? Does it work? With a, with a bunch of um, hopefully interesting stories along the way. This might be an, a naive question, but doesn't technology make it harder to do covert, it must be almost impossible, for example, to fake a passport these days with fingerprint IDs, biometric data. There are cameras on every street corner. True or false? It's certainly true. It's become more difficult, but there are, as you can imagine, all sorts of very clever people coming up with all sorts of uh, workarounds. There was rumours that when the, for example, when the Russians came into the UK to try and assassinate the dissident Sergei Skripal back in 2018. You know, Britain has very strong biometric security at the, at the airports, but uh, allegedly Russia managed to disable it for that, for that split second. That they that they came through. So there are there are there are ways, and there are people working on uh, exploiting those and indeed um, preventing those. Well, you're telling us how to stage a coup. How do we defend ourselves against covert action? Some last minute advice, please. We get our own house in order. We make sure there are no easily exploitable loopholes around electoral interference. We make sure that we're not having toxic debates about Brexit or about immigration. We're not at each other's throats. These hostile states seek to exploit 
our vulnerabilities. They seek to exploit our kind of openness. And they look for schisms and they try and smack those schisms open. So we need to um, close those close those loopholes, talk in a much more civil manner, um, and that will help build resilience against uh, foreign subversion. Rory, come back soon. I've been talking to Rory Cormack about How to Stage a Coup, published by Atlantic Books. Think bigger about the world we live in. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.